Thanks, guys, uh, for blessing us with God's uh, word through song. Not on? How are we going now, Ross? Good? Good. Try again. Thank you for blessing us uh, with the truth of God through uh, song and music today. We uh, thank God for that. Let's get myself dressed up here now. It's feeling better. Um, just before we go, can I grab um, Tom still here and someone else to just come down the front and grab some invitations hand out for us, Tom? I was going to grab Hayden as well, but he's ducked out, is he? Uh, Tommy and uh, Sammy, if you guys could come. You, mate, you squinted your eyes too much then, Sam, and you gave yourself away. Uh, down here, Tom, yeah, up the front here. Just for these Christmas invitations, now we want to hand these out. We want to make this um, Christmas lunch and celebration a really... Uh, strong evangelistic opportunity for family and friends. Uh, I would be encouraging you to think of people you can be praying for that um, you could ask to come along. These invitations aren't for you, okay? They're not for you. I thank my precious daughter who made them up for us, but they're not for us. They're actually for us to give away, to give to somebody else. So um, grab an invitation. Think of somebody now that um, you can be praying for and asking to come along on uh, December the 17th. Whatever's not handed out, just bring back down the front here, guys. Um, yeah, think of somebody you can be praying for now to bring along on uh, December the 17th uh, for that Christmas service where we're going to talk about the wonder of Christ, which is truly the wonder of Christmas. So uh, over these next few weeks, let's uh, really make a concerted effort here to uh, reach out to the people of the Greater Shepparton community, particularly our friends and family and neighbours, um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the Christmas uh, message. Great, thanks for doing that, fellas. Okay, we are starting a new sermon series um, today, the Book of Malachi, the last, uh, the last book of the Old Testament. I'm hoping everybody's read through the Bible here at least once and got to the book of Malachi. I think I'm out of the Old Testament, now I can go to the New Testament. Malachi is a great, great book. Um, I was just thinking about this first section uh, I'm going to look at today, the first few verses, and uh, something, an illustration that came to mind that I thought about was, um, you know, who's ever seen those sort of love stories where they hold the daffodil in their hand and they say, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Lucky I've got that daffodil. Sometimes uh, that's how flippant we can be when it comes to the love of God in our lives. We can sort of think God loves me today. He loves me not today. Sometimes we can can be very flippant here about how we think of God and his love for us. Uh, Today the Holy Spirit through Malachi is going to call us out on that as we think about God and his incredible salvation love for us. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the very last bit. The book of Malachi. And let us pick up the first five verses to uh, read that together. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, or Edom, if Edom says we are shattered but we will will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build but I will tear down. 
and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Uh, Father, today, thank you. Thank you for the book of Malachi. Thank you that you uh, moved uh, in the life of the prophet Malachi two and a half thousand years ago uh, to record this words uh, for us today that come from you. Lord, today, just as you addressed the Israelites two and a half thousand years ago, uh, today your words will address us. Please, please help us, Holy Spirit, to see the truth that is communicated here uh, through the love that the uh, sovereign creator has for us. Open up our ears and our eyes and our understanding that we ask, Holy Spirit, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Often we can come to the Old Testament and think, what has this got to do with me? What has this got to do with me? Here's some writings that are two and a half thousand years old. How could they be possibly any use of me today in 2017, 2,500 years ago thereabouts? Uh, If you were here earlier on, you would have seen a a video we placed up there about uh, the Bible, a a Desiring God John Piper video, which is an incredible video just opening up to us the gift that we have through the Bible. It's a supernatural book. It's timeless. The Bible is the spoken or written words of God to us. So what we have for, uh, in the Bible to us is a gift from our Creator, revealing himself to us. And here in the book of Malachi, we have the timeless words of God that will speak directly to us today. Even though it's two and a half thousand years ago, the people of Malachi's time are no different to us today in 2017. Time and technology have changed, but people haven't. We are still the same people back then who desperately needed God's grace as we are today. We desperately need God's grace to save us and to change us. God's word is timeless. Malachi is written for Exchange Church 2017 today. Let's set the scene here to give us a bit of uh, background on um, Malachi. It's approximately four to 500 BC. So there you go, there's the, there's the two and a half thousand years ago when this book was written. Uh, Israel's been through a whole lot of history getting up to this point. Uh, God has formed a nation of people. A bit echoey, is it, Ross? Is Dan, do you want to have a look at that, Dan, please, mate? Uh, God's um, formed a nation through the people of Abraham and his descendants over this whole period of time. There are people uh, who... They are the people of God's covenant of whom he would bring the Messiah to ultimately save them and rescue them uh, through the Messiah. Israel has experienced God's abundant grace and favour in many, many times. And when that happened, they tended to become very complacent and cold towards God when that favour and grace was poured upon them. They just kept presuming on his grace and lived a life of godless living. And if you follow the history of Israel leading up to this point, you'll see they went through good times and they went through bad times or hard times, extremely challenging times. At one point in time in the history of Israel, they had a kingdom that ruled the known world of the day. But then they went deep into sin and and God allowed other nations to invade them as his judgment upon their unfaithfulness and their willfulness in returning away from God and uh, living their own way regardless of God. At this particular time, Malachi is at a very low ebb in the history of Israel. It's a very low, dark time. Their current state of living is very demoralising and extremely hard. The kingdom is long, long gone. The kingdom is long, long gone. 
They're currently ruled by the Persian Empire. They are the rulers of the, of the land of Israel at this time. Uh, by God's gracious and sovereign hand, though, through Cyrus and Darius, two rulers of Persia, God has enabled them to send some people back to the land of Israel, as it were, to re-inhabit it and to rebuild it again. The temple also has been rebuilt in a fashion at this time. But Jerusalem and Israel are not in a good way. Not in a good way at all. The country's broke and it's heavily taxed by Persia to fund all of its war efforts around the rest of the world at this particular time. Yes, the temple is rebuilt, but it's barely a shadow of the previous temple that Solomon built many, many centuries before. The people are living amongst the broken ruins of a once glorious city. The nation of Israel is really just a backwater in the middle of nowhere within the Persian Empire. There's nothing glorious or great about the nation of Israel at this particular time at all. Life is very mundane, life is very laborious, and they are at the whim and mercy of Persia on what they want to do and how they want to do things. Spiritually, Israel at this time is dry and lifeless. There's no vigour or joy about God, and in many respects, when it comes to God, they're just going through the motions. This sets the scene where Malachi is. Israel has lost sight of the greatness and the goodness of God. Israel has lost sight of the sovereign supremacy of God. Israel in the time of Malachi has been overcome by their current circumstances and they've actually lost sight of who God is. Their vision has collapsed. Despite all of that, God still calls them to covenant faithfulness. God is still their God. He hasn't abandoned them. The Israelites are his chosen people and God is still with them, despite what is happening around about them. What's also notable about this book here is there's no big preamble for introducing Malachi the prophet. There's no sort of life story about where he came from. or anything. He's really someone who just wants to get straight into it and get straight to the point. There's a picture here of Malachi, I think, of his red-hot devotion for God's glory and to see that rise up again within the nation of Israel. God, uh, Malachi wants to see God's name to be honoured and revered within this uh, nation of Israel once again. Um, I'd encourage you to read through the book of Malachi, and as you do that, not now while I'm speaking, of course, but later on, but as you do that, you will see that Malachi is sort of like a question and answer type thing. There's like questions that God asks, and there's like these answers that, he, that the Israelites give. It's like God has brought Israel into the interview room for, as it were, a let's come clean about what the truth is around here. Let's get it all out on the table because if we don't, if we want to hide stuff, we're going to go nowhere, guys. Let's get it all out on the table. Let's bring out the truth. God's bring them to like an interrogation, an interview. Let's get the truth out there. And this is where we find Malachi. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to uh, speak God's truth to the Israelites. And as we go through Malachi over the next few weeks, we're going to see quite a few things. We're going to see God dealing with false worship and false pastors. He's going to speak about false marriage. He's going to speak about false obedience. He's going to speak about the coming of the Lord as well. And today we will see God address the Israelites about their concept of God's love and how they view that and how they grasp that. Here's the first point that God raises with Israel then. It's in verse 2. He says there, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's a pretty significant statement if you get a concept of who the Lord is when he says that. He says, I have loved you, Israel. But Israel responds. 
I have loved you, says the Lord. But then they say, but you say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? The sovereign supreme Lord makes this emphatic statement, I have loved you. But Israel responds with, well, how have you loved us? There's actually a hint of cynicism in that response of Israel. Just how have you loved us? It's a bit like this. Yeah, sure, God, you really love us. Just have a look around, everybody. Look at the state of the nation. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. It really shows folks that God really loves us, not. That's in a sense of how Israel's responding to God's idea there. How have, how have you loved us, God? Show us that. You know, the temple is like a dusty old caravan parked out in the desert. Our country is a nobody. We've got no future. Nothing's happened around here for years. And God, you say you love us? What on the earth is all that about? That's really the pick up there, the way Israel's responding to God as he says, I have loved you. Israel has lost sight of the greatness of God. And therefore they've lost sight of the highest expression of God's love. Israel's grown cold towards God. And they've allowed their circumstances to be the measurement of his love towards them. It's a bit like, God, if you really loved us, God, if you really loved us, you would have kicked out these Persians by now. God, if you really loved us, you would have restored us back to our rightful position as a world power. The land again would be flowing with milk and honey and everybody would be prosperous and we would all live happily ever after if you really loved us, God. That's how the Israelites are thinking at this time. They're measuring or determining God's love by their outward circumstances. They've lost sight of God's love for them in its highest form. We too can so easily do that ourselves. It's so easy to get caught up in life when things are going really well and think God really loves me in the moment. He really loves me. My health is well. My job is doing good things. I've just been on that holiday to the coast. I'm kicking, the kids are kicking goals at the school. I've even lost a few kilos in the last month. God, you really love me. Things are going really well. We get caught up with that sometimes with blessings like we just think God loves me in these temporal blessings. But when life turns around, as it does, when circumstances change and things aren't flowing my way like they were before, we can very quickly say, God, what are you doing? I'm not so sure you love me. He loves me not. As we pull off another petal of the daffodil. Well, this is what the Israelites are up to. And this can be so easily where we are caught up as well at times. God, how have you loved us? Or God addresses their complaint. And as he addresses, he reveals to them something that you or I I should never, ever forget. It's actually something we should meditate and think on often. And this is God's sovereign, free love in calling us into salvation and relationship with him. We must think long and hard and meditate upon that. In verses 2 and 3, I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? God replies, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. It's a strong word there, isn't it? What does God mean when he says that? But confusing sometimes we read that through the Bible. What's sort of happening when that sort of language is there? You need to think about um, the Bible as a whole book when God says something like that. And that particular passage takes us right back to 
Abraham and Isaac. It was here that God was working at his sovereign purposes centuries and centuries before Malachi for bringing through a nation of people who would be, who would, of whom would come the Messiah. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is pregnant with twins. And God has made a sovereign choice at this particular time to choose Jacob to be, to be the one whom he will grow into a great nation. God has chosen Jacob and he's passed over Esau, these two twins, with inside two twins. That's a bit of a double take there, sorry about that. Twins inside Rebekah. So the way the Hebrew writes that, in the sense of how they communicate that in the Hebrew language, is it's through love and hate. The word hate doesn't imply any animosity towards Esau at this particular time. It just implies a rejection of Esau for God's sovereign purposes and bringing through the nation of Israel and ultimately to bring a Messiah. God is saying, Jacob, I've set my love upon you, my saving and electing love. I've chosen you to be my precious possession and ultimately to bring the the nation of Israel through and to bring the Messiah. And Esau... God has passed over because he hasn't used him to fulfill his sovereign purposes. And there's something really incredible here that Israel has missed in all of that. And actually they've forgotten in all of this. In God's calling of Jacob to be the father of Israel and to bring through the Messiah ultimately. There's something they've totally, totally missed. And it's in verse 2 there where it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. They've actually lost the word Lord there and what that really means. The word Lord there is Yahweh, means master of everything, Lord of everything. And what Israel has missed is the greatness of God as the master of everything. We don't really get a grasp of how great God is. And I did hear this really, really good example the other day of the greatness of God. And actually it blew me away because I began to think about this vastness for God, particularly in creation. If we take down a scale of the distance between ourselves here on the earth to the sun and we reduce it to the thickness of a piece of paper, right? That's actually 149.6 million kilometres, just there. If we took that to be the distance between the earth and the sun, we would still have to travel 17 years at 1,000 kilometres an hour every hour of every day for 17 years to get from the earth to the sun to cover that distance. The next nearest star beyond the sun in our galaxy is not one thickness of a piece of paper. It's 20 metres of paper stacked on top of each other. It's a pretty big distance. What about the distance across our galaxy? If that's the next nearest star... I was told as I heard this um, uh, scaled down example, the distance across our galaxy measured by the thickness of the paper being the distance from the earth to the sun is a stack of paper 500 kilometres high. How are you feeling at the moment? Very, very small. Well, our galaxy is only one of a hundred billion galaxies in the known universe. Who knows how much paper you'd need to stack on top of that and that each piece of paper represents 149.6 million kilometres. Begins to give a picture of the greatness of God and the littleness of us. 
It's insane when you think about it. It's beyond our minds to think of this greatness of God. And Hebrews tells us, Hebrews tells us that God spoke the entire universe into existence with one word. Universe. Or whatever God said. It's ridiculous. It's insane. We can't capture that in our minds. This is just a very small picture of the greatness of God. This same indescribable God says to Israel, I have loved you. I have chosen to set my love on you. I have called you into relationship with me as the Lord of the universe, Yahweh. They've lost sight of that. But let's also be reminded here of this free and sovereign act of the Lord of the universe. It's not like he needed these people because he was lacking something or was wanting something to fulfil his life with. We get a picture of this here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's a free act of God's sovereign love there, as you see that in verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you. It is because this great, indescribable master of the universe has chosen to love you. So here it is, Israel. Can you not see this mind-blowing demonstration of my love towards you? Little old you. Nothing special about you at all. Tiny little you in comparison to the universe that I've created. You, Israel. You, Israel. I've set my redeeming love on you and called you into relationship with me. But they've missed it. They've missed it. They've lost it. They've confused this idea of love. And it's very confusing today in this world we live in. There's supposedly 97 million love songs that you can find there that have actually been composed down through time that have been officially released. And these songs are all filled with types of heartbreak and joy and all these things that they think about love. There's a song here, well there's a verse here, I'll just read it out and you'll probably know it. I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to read it out and you'll probably pick it up. All you need is love, all you need is love, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. Love, 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 love. All you need is love, all you need is love. All you need is love, love is all you need. Yes, okay, someone picked it up. The Beatles wrote that. Have a guess what? They broke up after they wrote that. They obviously realised it wasn't the love that they needed. It was the wrong love. This world is absolutely confused when it comes to that. We have a book, we might even have down the back there, I'm not sure, called The Five Love Languages. Now, it's a good book. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. It helps to profile us maybe and, and see how we respond in love. But again, this five love languages goes to show just how complex this idea of love really is. It can confuse us by thinking 
that this love is, is demonstrated to me because I need to have it come to me in this certain love language. And sometimes we read books like that and we sort of begin to even think that's the way God will love me is through these sort of various love languages. It can help in some ways, but it shows again the complexity of this idea of love. God is vastly deeper in his love towards us than we can ever, ever imagine. God will sometimes bring incredible pain into our lives to get our hearts back onto him. We are so prone to drift and to wander in this world and set our hearts' affections on anything else in this world other than God and only to find its empty and broken and shallow promises. Then the most loving thing that God can do is bring suffering into our life so that we can begin again to see his beauty, his worth, his greatness and his glory. Now you won't really find that in a love song, not the Beatles love song anyway. But this is precisely what God is doing with the Israelites here at the moment in Malachi. God has let them go to be invaded by other countries and to bring them to wreck and ruin because they had lost sight of God. He was trying to bring them to the end of themselves again. And for us here today, we've got to see this same highest expression of God's love for us. It is the love that he has shown us in saving us from sin and death. Having a life of comfort and ease and pleasure isn't the highest expression of God's love toward us. It isn't. In fact, more often than not, when comfort, ease and pleasure uh, comes into our life, it produces pride and apathy and coldness towards God because we begin to rely on ourselves again. That's not the highest expression. The highest expression of God's love is this sovereign creator, this Lord of everything, demonstrating his love to us through salvation. It is absolutely unrivaled. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10 In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Two classic examples there of God's love for us demonstrated through the death of Jesus Christ, demonstrated through God's salvation of our souls. That is the highest expression of God's love. Here is the great sovereign God of the universe who spoke into existence with a single word, sending his son into a world that he created and sending him to save a people who are evil rebels. I have loved you, says the sovereign Lord. Here's three really vital reasons that we must see this as the highest expression of God's love. Really, really vital we get this. Firstly, the grace of God revealed through the death of Jesus is a universal expression of God's love. It's a universal expression of God's love. No matter where you are or who you're with, you can actually express this as God's highest form of his love demonstrated for us. So what I mean by that is this. I can go to North Korea where Christianity basically means the death penalty. If you want to be a Christian in North Korea and you want to profess Christ, that will lead you to a hard labour camp and probably death. Probably death in North Korea. But I can go to North Korea and I can tell the Christians there that God supremely loves you. And he has demonstrated this love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you to pay the price of your sins. And you know what? The Christians in North Korea will hear that 
And they will rejoice and they will celebrate in that love. They will absolutely rejoice and celebrate in that expression of love. If I was to go to them and say, hey, here's the highest expression of God's love. It's a life of pleasure and comfort and ease to North Korean Christians. They'd say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no comfort or pleasure or ease here in my existence, in my circumstances. It's a universal expression of God's love that you take to anybody. And it's what the Holy Spirit uses to open up somebody's heart and mind to see God's love demonstrated for them at the cross. You've got to see that. It's a universal expression of God's love. Secondly, this is also vitally important for us because it's one of the it's out of this salvation love that we see God's grace flowing towards us. This is echoed right throughout the Bible. From the very pages of Scripture, from the start to the finished. Anything we receive from God is a gift of His love and grace. And again, Malachi demonstrates that that for us right here. This is the very first thing that Malachi writes about. He talks about God's love expressed to them. He says there, the Lord loves you, Israel. I have loved you. And it's out of this foundation of what God has first done for us that we are now called into faithful, God-glorifying living. It's out of the foundation of God's grace demonstrated uh, through his salvation for us that we're now called into that faithful living. God is about to call them people of Malachi's time out for their false worship, for their cheap appreciation of who God is and their selfish, man-centred marriages. And God is about to call them out for their greed in social justice. But all of this comes from the foundation that God loves them and has called them into relationship with Him. It comes from that foundation. And that 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 relationship then must reflect godly character. It's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous error to see that anything comes from God as a result of my good deeds or my good works or my whatever you want to say that try and earn some sort of good thing from God. It's a dangerous thing to do that because God never has and never will owe anybody anything. It always comes from his love. Thirdly, We must see the highest expressions of God's love through our salvation because Satan will work hard at drawing us away into thinking we need to measure God's love in other areas. Satan will work overtime at telling us that God doesn't really love us. Satan will whisper into our ears, does God really love you? Why then do you still have this lingering sickness? I don't think God really loves you. This will be one of the greatest weapons that Satan will use. He will make our outward circumstances become the focus of our life. And he will draw us away through deception and doubt and through lies. Surely God doesn't love me. Look at the mess my life is in. If God really loved me, my life would be a whole lot better. This is what Satan uses to deceive us, to take our minds off God's highest expression of love for us. We must think and meditate long and hard at seeing God's highest expression of his love towards us through his salvation act, through his calling us into his kingdom. We must not let the circumstances of our life dictate to us whether God loves me or not. That is just the daffodil approach. 
that will just change every day. Sometimes it will change every hour. That's not how God operates. God will never love us any more and never love us any less. He loves us perfectly. And he loves every single person who is called by Christ in his kingdom exactly the same. And sometimes we will need to labour through much doubt and outward situations to see Jesus Christ for us bleeding and dying upon that cross, calling us into salvation and washing our sins away. We will need to labour through really hard times, much doubt, much despair. And you see, this is what the people were missing in Malachi's day. They had missed this altogether. They got swamped by life. They listened to the lies of the devil. They broke faith with God. They lost sight of his covenant with them. And they said, God, how have you loved us? We just can't see it. And I fear it can be the same problem with us today. We have a blessing actually way beyond Malachi. Way beyond Malachi. We have the covenant fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They had no idea of who Jesus Christ was in their time. They knew there was somebody coming in the future. But we live on the other side of the cross and we can look back and say, he's come. He's fulfilled the covenant. He's made it all possible. But we don't see that sometimes. We don't see the salvation that God's effective for us. And we can be just like the people in Malachi. The only and great God of the universe is saying today to the people of Exchange Church, the people hearing my voice today, I have loved you in my beloved son and in his death for your sins. Listen to these words here of the hymn that I just thought of as I was uh, writing this through the week. It's a great picture of Isaac Watts because he got a picture of this. He got an understanding of what this love was. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrificed them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's a great picture there of the vision and the, and the understanding that Isaac Watts had received. How could we ever respond to God by saying, how have you loved me, God? We just need to look to Christ at the cross and we will see love there that is beyond description. Friends, God is far greater than you think. Far, far greater than you think. May this truth rest upon our hearts today with much weight. May the truth of God's love expressed at the cross be heavy upon us. May it outweigh whatever circumstances you or I face in this life so that those circumstances don't blow us over. And may God's salvation love draw us into deeper and deeper and sweeter and sweeter experiences of his glorious presence demonstrated through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for the book of Malachi. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your patience and your forbearance with the people of Malachi's day. Father, today we pray that you will help us again to recapture that vision, 
that you have certainly and truly loved us. And there is no higher expression than the sending of your Son, your one and only Son, your begotten Son, your loved Son, that he would come to this world that was God-forsaken, that was living in open and willful rebellion, that he would come and die a brutal death upon the cross to express and to show that love for us. God, I pray today that as the circumstances of life would come in and crush us or would come in and close in around us and force us into a dark space, I pray that the shafts of light of your love at the cross would come and beam and radiate into our lives to lift us above the circumstances that we are in and to get a clear vision of this expression of love through Christ. Help us to see, Lord, that you are a great God and that you truly, truly do love us. Father, I pray, forgive us. Forgive us for our doubt. Forgive us, Lord, for those times where we just thought, no, God doesn't love me. Forgive us, Lord, for allowing circumstances to take over in our lives. And Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise because you are the God who does forgive and you're the God who does restore. Lord, today we ask that, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to come and lead us around the table if um, I could get... Joel and um, Nathan to uh, hand out a communion. Thomas, thanks.